So Stephen has written a song that he wants to perform <laughs> today. Something that is on his heart, so over to you. Lord, just bless, bless Chris in Jesus' name. <laughs> Darwin, do you want to cover going to interview Darwin this morning, Darwin McCullough? Um, getting to know Darwin over the last year and a half or so. Um, just give you a chance. I've got the microphone on, all right? Yeah, dead on. Um, yeah, so... I've never been on the stage in the waterfront <laughs> until I take up my singing career. Um, Darren, do you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself, um, where you live, your family, and, and where you work? Yeah, so my name's Darwin McCullough. I have many Darwins in the church. Um, I live with my wife, Emma. We are married 13 years last week. Um, two boys, Ilya and Sasha. And we live just, just outside Donna if you know that part of the world. Um, between Lurgan and Dromore, so we, we drive past Emmanuel Lurgan to come to Emmanuel, port it down. The Lord will bless you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you work? Um, I work for a company called Glen Dimplex, which is probably quite well known to some people in the area. Um, there's a, a factory out there, Seagull, um, but I don't work in port it down I work in Dublin. Okay. Um, can you tell us a wee bit about when you became a Christian and, and how that came about for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's probably the most dramatic of um, <coughs> stories they're talking about um, becoming a Christian, but it's important to me. Um, so I was, I was saved whenever I was 20 in Windsor Gospel Hall in Lisburn Road in Belfast. I was a student in Queen's at the time. Um, a couple of years prior to that, my own father had become a Christian, my mum, and I, had, I was fortunate enough and blessed to have friends who were concerned with me um, and where I stood um, in the eyes of God. And a guy called Stephen Rogers, um, whose family owns the toy shop in Portadown as well. Uh, but Stephen would have invited me there to a lot of the, the gospel meetings there. And for a long time, I was more going there really just to humour him. Um, but um, I remember one, one Thursday night there, um, been led to the, been led to the Lord. Okay, good stuff. Um, and so, how have you found yourself? Obviously, you know, Manuel Portadown is going nearly just well, almost two years. So, how have you found yourself coming to be part of the? Emmanuel Portadown family. Yeah, um, I suppose there's maybe three ways where people sort of come to become part of Emmanuel Portadown, either through the the grafting of Emmanuel or um, and um, Upper Band Vineyard, or co- joining it since then. We we would say we joined there through the grafting of Upper Band Vineyard, um, and the story was, goes back there even beyond the last couple of years, where M and I would have been coming to Upper Band Vineyard way back ten years ago, whenever we we're still meeting then in the in the rugby club. Um, and we journeyed, I think we were, felt like we were consumers of churches. We went through a lot of different churches there in the last 10 years, um, and we were with one church in particular for, for a good number of years, but um, for various reasons there, we were very, very um, burdened there to um, come back to Upper Band Vineyard, um, and it was just a few weeks when we came back, and then we discovered all the changes that were happening there, which has been great, it's been amazing, and um, haven't looked back. You, you were mentioned there whenever you were talking about your work that you, you work in Dublin. Um, so I mean, I know from from having talked to you over the last year or so that your work requires you to be away a lot from home. Yeah. How do you find that fitting in? You know, how how's that the challenge of your Christian faith and family time and you know fellowship within people in church? How do you how does that all sit with you? Do you find that a challenge or? Uh, it's a double-edged sword. Um, 
for the last couple, the last year or more, um, I've been up in Dublin now since last since last May, um, and there was quite a while where I had a lot of time on my hands, so I was able to do the nine to five, and then I had it every evening really to myself there in order to really do what I wanted, um, and I would find myself there going at a, a church in, in Dublin city centre called St Mark's and did some really good worship nights. Um, but this, this last wee while now, time has been very, very, very scarce. Um, I would say I feel very time poor. Um, so I don't have the same opportunities now. Um, I find myself really just at the minute, it's just, it feels like an existence, it's working and sleeping. Um, but when I hear about the announcements here today, for example, like corporate prayer um, and Ignite, and I just I'm denied those opportunities right now to be able to take part in that. So that's, that is a struggle and it puts a strain as well on, on family life as well because mm. I'm away during the week and you come home on a Thursday night or Friday night and mm. here's the list of things that you need to sort out that's mm. broken this week. <laughs> <laughs> and Emma's sitting there going, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I give Bruno the list of things that's broken our <laughs> Can I give Bruno my list as well? <laughs> so just to finish off, having said all that, what would be the best way that we could pray for you? That's a very kind question, actually. Um, and <coughs> I would say there's a few things that I really like people to think about, and if they think about us, they're to think about in prayer. Um, just be, being away so much, there, um, a, a prayer of protection um, over the family whenever I'm not there. I, 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 I don't like being so far away from Emma and the kids whenever I'm, I'm down in Dublin. Um, and just for a, a prayer of protection there, that the family unit there stays strong and they're courageous there whenever I'm away. Um, but the big thing, and it's, it's maybe the timing of this interview is actually quite relevant because we feel we're going into a period of, of change, a period perhaps of significant change. That's what we've discerned. And without going into too much detail there, I think we'd just like prayer for wisdom and, and more discernment there as we go, in, we go through that process. Okay. Well, let's pray for you then just okay. as we finish. Father, I just want to thank you for, for Darwin and Emma and the kids. Lord, I just pray for that protection over, over their, their home life, their family life, Father, their work life. Lord, I just pray that you will be in, in the midst of that, just with Darwin having to be away a lot of the time, Lord, that you will protect the unity, Father, in the family home, and you'll just even strengthen that, Father, through um, the, the challenge of that distance, Lord, and just in the um, this transition period and, and period of, of change and challenge, Lord, I just pray that you will grant them wisdom to gather that you will just um, flood them, Father, with your peace. Um, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, Lord. So I just pray that you will you'll show them the steps ahead, Lord, each step at a time, that they'll know what way to walk, um, what decisions that need made, Father. That you'll just bless them and hold them and comfort them, Father, and, and lead them in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good stuff, Darwin. Thank you. And thank you, Stephen and Norman, for sorting out different interviews all week or all summer. It's been great to find out a little bit more about each other and what God's doing in each other's lives. Um, it's good to see you all this morning. Hope you've all had a decent summer and um, enjoying the final bursts of sun here before everything kicks back in next week. Um, I hope you feel um, rested and ready to go. And and if not, um, we'll pray for you <laughs> at the end. Um, it's just uh, before we before we kind of just jump into the final kind of talk on this summer series, we are worshippers. I'd love just to just during worship though, just really, Father, I'd love to pray 
for our kids for a moment, you know, and as we were singing that song, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, you know, and um, my my kids are young at the moment, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's all still very cute and very sheltered and very safe, thank God, you know, but you think about the, they're going to grow up, you know, and we're going to do our best to parent them and we're going to do our best to provide environments where they know the love of God and the the grace and the truth of God and his word, you know, but <clears throat> ultimately they're going to make their own decisions, aren't they? And, um, you know, I suppose my hope was that they would hear wherever they go, whatever they do, wherever they find themselves, that the words of that song, you know, your goodness is running after me, that wherever they might find themselves at some point in their life, that they would hear those words, that they can always come home because the goodness of God is running after them yeah and that you know when you know the kids stayed in and as they have been over the summer until the end of those songs and um i suppose you know for some of us whose kids are maybe a bit older and maybe not walking with the lord as as we'd like them to you know we just hope that some of those lines that it looks like that they're not even really that interested in it when our kids at this age are kind of sitting in church that they may just hear that somewhere somewhere <laughs> wherever they find themselves, that the Spirit of God would just bring songs like that back to them. You know, your goodness is running after me, yeah? And so I just I just love to pray that. And so um, for those of us who have been blessed, greatly blessed, because that's, that's the thing about it. You know, that is the thing that we need to remember. Wherever our kids are, whatever they're doing, they are a blessing from the Lord. And so as much as they're breaking your heart, celebrate them. Celebrate your kids from their gift from the Lord. Yeah, and uh, I just love to pray. I just love to pray for them today. Can we do that? And so I'll not ask people to stand or anything. Um, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we all just stand? Can we do that? Can we all just stand together and just hold um, hold your own children, no matter what age they are, no matter where they are, just hold them before the Lord. Just picture yourself holding them up before his throne right now. And um, I'm going to pray in a moment, but why don't you just even, maybe even inwardly, you just want to name them. You just want to name them before the Lord. You want to celebrate who they are as a blessing from the Lord. God, we just take a moment. We thank you for Lord, the heritage from the Lord, which is, um, Lord, the, the children that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for that today. Um, we thank you for the gift it is. Lord, we know that many today are, are struggling and many are um, dealing with, um, Lord, the, heart, the, the heartbreak of, of not being able to have children, God. And we pray for them today, God. We pray your blessing upon them and your hope into their hearts and spirits. And Lord, those of us who have been blessed, we, we therefore want to remind ourselves of the gift it is, God, to have uh, brought children into the world, oh God. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that it's running after us and it's running after them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved them and you died for them and you rose again so that the spirit that raised you from the dead could live in them. And, uh, and so God, we thank you that you pursue us, oh God. And I pray, Lord, that 
our sons and daughters, God, would know this. We pray a seal upon all the kids in our own kids' church right now, God. We pray that they might know this hope of Jesus, oh God, the love of the Father, and that, Lord, it would track them down all the days of their life. It would pursue them, Lord, round um, every every street they go down, Lord, every every um, every every good place they walk and every dark tunnel they find themselves, God, that your love, God, would just, as we often sing, it would kick down every wall, it would uh, tear down every lie, God, it would it would pursue them, God, all the days of it. We thank you that it will, but we pray that they would know that, God, in a very special way. And Lord, for the prodigal sons and daughters, God, all that are represented in this ho- in this home, in this church, God, we just pray, Lord, even today, even right now, Holy Spirit, that they might see the Father, that they, as the prodigal son, did, just come to his senses. God, what, what am I doing here? Why am I living like this? And as they just begin to turn their face towards home, as they even just consider it, but we pray that you, they would see the Father, God, running towards them, running towards them to lavish them with love. So we pray for this in a special sense today, God, that you would just bring verses and scriptures and choruses and little songs that they sung as children, as teenagers. God, you bring it back to them today. Holy Spirit, you'd stir it up in their hearts and in their lives and you bring them home to the Father and to the kingdom of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I just want to encourage you, if your kids are old enough to have a phone, text them maybe even just I'll even let you do it right now if you want in church as long as you don't go on Facebook well you can go on Facebook if you're going to say something really great about this message alright but text them text them right now tell them what they mean to you tell them that they are a gift and, and, and remind them that the goodness of God is always running after them okay well I kind of waffle in the introduction um, I, I want to. I do want to finish this series. Um, it's been great to look at it over the summer. Our teaching series over the summer, like most summer series, is are usually because we want to take a bit of a break from the general flow of what we have been teaching. Because with people being here, there, and everywhere over the summer, it's hard to kind of maintain momentum. And um, the stuff that we really wanted to land around the Book of Acts, which we looked at, we felt that it would be good to take a break um, from that, so that we could um, make sure that people aren't missing some core content that we want them to really get. In saying that, we do feel like this series on worship was really, really important as well because we want to, um, we feel like God is leading us to continue to prioritize his presence as a people, to encourage us um, into greater levels of freedom and worship because I do really believe the context for this is not just a, another theme. The context for this, as it is for everything, is that we are living um, and for a, a move of God's spirit. And we do believe that God is stoking the fires of renewal and revival in people's hearts and lives personally. And sometimes I have to confess that um, I, uh, I, it's not that I get nervous of saying that, but I'm if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm afraid that people maybe think that I'm just an idealist, that maybe I'm living in cloud cuckoo land when you talk about revival and awakening. When you look around at the world at the moment, and even when you look at, around at the church at the moment in lots of places, sometimes um, I can find myself thinking, I've, 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 uh, you know, am I just saying that to encourage myself? But I can't deny that something is stirring deep inside me. And I can't deny that something is stirring deep inside many people that I know around the world, that God is at work. And even though on the surface it feels like a fear of God or a reverence of God is being squeezed out of the public square and out of our society, we believe that God is doing something in the underground, if you like, in his people in a deep, 
deep way. And many trusted friends I know are feeling the same. And so while it's not always as dramatic as we want it to be, when we look around us and we reflect what God's doing, even in this house, then we start to realize that the Spirit is at work. Some of us as leaders, we met there on Friday night, and um, we were just reflecting on what God was doing in the church. And in a, in a good sense, don't, don't worry, we weren't talking about you in a negative sense, because we don't do that. But in a good sense, we were talking about many of you, and we were just saying what God has done in people's lives in the last two years since we've nearly begun. It is remarkable. It is remarkable the stories and the testimonies and the growth and the transformation that has happened in many people's lives. And, uh, and what, if, what if God is preparing us for something bigger? What if we need to get ourselves into a different mindset? What, what if it's not the same as what it was a while ago, even though it feels like this? Our reality has changed. Our reality is changing. And we, our mindsets sometimes need to catch up with the reality that is happening because a new normal often comes as we are renewed daily in our minds. And, that the, and the patterns of the kingdom of God and throughout church history, it makes sense that we would be being stirred in worship because at the center of any revival, at the center of any awakening, is a new wave of worship. We, you've heard us say it a bit like this, where there is new wine being poured out, there is new wineskins, but central to that is a new wave of worship. There are new worshippers that emerge. A new heartfelt devotion uh, starts to be carved, if you like, by the Spirit of God deep into the body of his people. And this, and this morning I want us to think about that, a little bit more about worship, and introduce kind of the final word that we have been looking at over the summer. We want to remember, so this is going to be a bit of a recap of some of the key points and looking at one or two of the final words. God isn't really interested, remember, in our worship as much as he's interested in worshipers. Remember our signature verse, which we'll bring up again later. The Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is seeking worshipers before he's seeking worship as we think of worship in terms of singing songs. And, um, and that's a much deeper thing. God wants to draw people into the invitation that he's always held out before them, which is a loving relationship of wholehearted commitment to the Father in spirit and truth. He wants to get, of the heart, he wants to, get to the heart of who you were truly created to be which was to walk in joy with him. That's what we were created for. And so kind of a key thing coming through is worship realigns us as people to the original design, what we were created to and for. Worship is central to that because we were created to enjoy the goodness of God. We were created to enjoy unadulterated joy and fellowship and communion with the maker of the universe. That was what we were created for. So worship realigns us to our original design. Okay? So when you say, I'm not really into worship, what you're kind of saying is you get a bit bored singing songs, right? Which is, which is like, you know, something to pray about, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. In, in the context of what, if you're not really into worship and what we're talking about here, if you're not really, what you're saying is you're denying part of who you were created to be, which was to be in relationship with the God of the universe, the Father who loves you, and something in your heart to be completed by his joy. 
to be completed by the wholeness that only he can bring and his love can bring. And so he realigns us to our original design. And just to unpack that a little bit further, it reorders our loves and it reorders our authority. If we were created with two, we were created with lots of things, but we could summarize it in two things. We were created to love and we were created with authority. Psalm 8 tells us that. The psalmist says that we have, um, you know, uh, it talks about, um, what's it talk about? It talks about um, um, you've crowned us with glory and honor. You know, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name on all the earth. It's coming now. Um, you've set your glory above the heavens. Yeah. When I look at the stars and the work of your hands, of your fingers, all that you have made, all of that, what is man that you're mindful of him? But you've crowned him with glory and you've crowned him with honor and you've given him dominion to rule so he's given us a crown of glory an image bearer of who he is and to reflect his love to the world but he's also given us authority but sin sin corrupted both of those and so we love the things that actually do us harm and we love good things but we love them more than god and so our loves get disordered right and when you ask jesus to come into your life and you've prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come into that is only the start of the reordering of your love. But you still love things that you shouldn't love. Right? Like I've been saved since it was four. Right? I still love things that I shouldn't always love. And some of them I can tell myself they're good things. But some of us can love, and this is, this is where the gospel kind of gets, <laughs> this is where Jesus came with the sword. Some of us can love our families more than we love God. So, some of us can love our careers, and they could be good careers. You could be helping loads of people, but some of us love them more than we love God. I'm, I'm talking to myself when I say some of us, by the way, right? And so our loves need reordered. And God, in worship, what happens, what happens this morning, anytime we worship, whether it's own or corporately, something is being reordered. And the affections of our heart. So we're, we're, not, just, we're not just saying sorry for our sins, we are. We're also saying that the things that we love, we want to reorder them that the love that we have for God, we see those other things as his goodness. So I, I love my family, not as a competition to God, but as a gift of God, because it's been reordered. It's been reordered with all of the affections of my heart coming from the Lord. It's like C.S. Lewis said, it's like, it's, like the, it's like the sun. It's by the sun we see everything else. And by the love of God, we see everything else in its right context. Not as competitions or rival gods or idols but as gifts that God can give us because our hearts have been surrendered to his and our, our authority gets corrupted like well, the reality is even when I say the word authority it conjures up more negative images for you than good ones that shows you how much we've got authority wrong that shows you how corrupted the word in itself has become but actually God's loving rule was what he delegated to us to steward the earth and oversee the earth. And so when we worship, what we're doing when we worship, we are bowing the knee to Jesus. We're bowing our hearts to Jesus. We're saying once again, you're Lord and we are not. And as we do that, we come into an understanding of what our rightful, godly, servant-hearted, Jesus-looking-like authority really is. Does that make sense? And so worship realigns our original design because it reorders our loves and it reorders our authority. That should be a result. So we're just trying to get a little bit mature when we understand what we talk about with worship. It's not just what it makes us feel, right? 
Worship isn't just what it makes you feel. It's what it changes and transforms within us and what it lines and realigns in our hearts. So worship, um, yeah, worship, worship realigns our original design. But worship also has a divine order, if I could put it like that. I said this a few weeks ago, but I really want to say it again because I'd love us to become more aware of, if it's right to say, the way we worship. And I don't want this to sound like there's a criteria in some ways to worship, like it's prescriptive or legalistic in any way. I don't want it to sound like that. But I do think there is an order in how we approach God and how we understand how to come before God and worship, okay? Um, yeah, I just think it's, it's really important because it fosters light. God, God is a God of order. We just see that in creation, don't we? Morning and evening the first day, morning and evening the second day. And it doesn't, God has the ability through his spirit to bring order in a way that doesn't squash life. We as humans really struggle with that because we love control. So every time we bring order, we usually bring control with it. God brings order in a way that actually catalyzes life and flourishing. And that's why we need to worship. Because if we don't worship, we'll end up just using our authority to control. Whereas God wants our authority to bring life. And God has a divine order with uh, worship. The Bible does. It gives us a way and a process of how to come to God. Here's the scripture I want to base this on. Uh, uh, Where is it? There it is. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates. So this would have been the way the Israelites came to the tabernacle in those days. They came with thanksgiving. In through the gates of that outer court. And into into the courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You come with thanksgiving. That's mingled as you go further in with praise. And then they come to a place, which this verse doesn't unpack further and further. So they come with this song. And then what we're going to get to today is they come into a place of deep, deep worship. And so we could say it like this. Thanksgiving is the response to God's works. Praise is the response to his nature. And worship is the response to his very presence. And so there's a sense to which even when we came today and even the songs that um, Caroline picked and the, the, the worship team led us in, worthy of every song we could ever sing, yeah? And um, there is no one like you, yeah? There is no one. coming with pra- We're giving thanks to God for who he is and praise for what he's done. We're getting our eyes fixed on the goodness and the grace of God because we come in every Sunday with our eyes fixed on other things. And that's just not necessarily bad or sinful. It's just the way it is as we live in this world. And so we do need to come in to church or to worship or even each morning as we spend time with the Lord. We come with praise. We come with thanksgiving. We try to lift ourselves. We don't It doesn't invalidate what we're going through, but we try to lift ourselves out of the place we're at to get our eyes on an alternative reality, which is the goodness of God. And as we lift our eyes up onto God, and as we give him thanks, and as we give him praise, we begin to look at the thing that we were always supposed to look at, and we were always supposed to know, which is the goodness of God. And then as that happens, by the Spirit, we're drawn into a deeper intimacy with the Lord, and we worship for his, because his presence comes. 
His presence comes in an even stronger way because that's what he promises to do. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And God comes amongst us. I, I was trying to keep it simple a few, a few weeks ago. And, um, and so I used this. Worship is, first of all, it's, whoa, God, you are good. And then worship is, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not so good. You know, you're this and I'm not that. And yet you still love me. And, and so, God, you, you are, whoa, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the times that I'm not reflecting your image right. And yet, as in that moment when we do that, we receive grace. It's actually grace that pulls us into that place in the first point. We receive grace for healing and for forgiveness. And we say, thank you. Thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for who you are. And then as his presence comes, we just yield. We become one with him. Yeah? It's not unlike... And you don't want to be irreverent here because this is God we're talking about and it's, a, it's above and beyond another human. But it, it's not unlike falling in love. You see somebody across the room for the first time. You're, Whoa. <laughs> but then you, you engage a relationship and you realize, oh, sorry for the parts of us that aren't compatible because we're different. And then if it's, if it's really love, you get beyond that and you go, thank you for loving me, even though we're not the same. And then you get to the point where saying, will we be one? Will we yield? Will we make the decision that we will live for the other person for the rest of our lives? Yeah? It's relational. It's a flow going back and forth. But it's not a transaction in some in some kind of machinery-type machinery way. It's, it's deeply relational. Okay? And so there, I want to encourage us to think about this. And I'm going to tell you the reason why before I finish. In praise, we give God, thanks to God for all he's done. And as Chris mentioned this morning, sometimes that's really difficult. And some, for some of us worshiping this morning, was really, really difficult to praise because that's why it talks about a sacrifice of praise. Some days praise feels like a real sacrifice. Some of us are going, I am really struggling this morning to say, God, you're so good. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be, I, I, I'm going to be honest. And so sometimes I come in, everybody's singing this, like it feels like nice, fluffy kind of worship songs. And I'm feeling, God, it doesn't feel like you are good. Yeah. It's a, and yet we know he is, but it doesn't feel like it. And so those days it becomes, a, it becomes a sacrifice of praise. And it doesn't mean that we actually can't say that to God because the Bible's full of praise being lament and, 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 and struggle and pain and all of those things as well. So that's all worship. But it, it feels like a sacrifice of praise because you don't even sometimes want to talk to God. Right? And so the Bible talks about that in Hebrews to bring a sacrifice of praise because it's an action that is beyond what is convenient for us. And Bruna talked a lot about this when she was talking about the, the word toda, the way of worshiping God before our circumstances line up with the reality of what we're singing about. And so we, but as we choose to give thanks, it kind of opens up a door to a taste of God that actually we cannot taste if we weren't going through that circumstance. i never forget Bill Johnson saying when his dad died, that um, who he was very, very close to, that he knew in that moment, despite all his grief and all his loss and all his pain, that there was an opportunity to taste something of the goodness of God 
that he wouldn't outside of that circumstances. And then he said this, which I've never forgot. In this moment, he says, I can do something which I'm never going to be able to do in heaven, which is worship God out of the place of disappointment. It's powerful insight, isn't it? You never, you're going, never going to have to worship God in heaven out of disappointment because you're just going to be whole. You're going to have wiped every tear from every eye at that point and all pain, sickness, all of that's going to be gone. And it's going to be beautiful, don't get me wrong. But there's a way that we can taste something of God's goodness on this earth. We can taste something of his goodness in the midst of disappointment that we won't be able to do in heaven. And I know that's, sound, that's easier said than done, but it's something for us to think about. And it brings us into a revelation of God's character that does something to our hearts beyond what this world can do. And so there is a divine order, and we're going to get to that again in a few moments. But worship is sacramental in its nature. This is what we've been learning about. Because we, because we engage with God in a sense of encounter, when it says sacramental, it's in material Physical ways, we respond to that with our whole hearts and our whole bodies. And so we, uh, very quickly, we, with all these words that, we've, that the guys have taught so well on, we, we barak, <laughs> we kneel and we bow and we give reverence to God. We yada or toda, we, re- we revere or worship God with extended hands and praise and thanksgiving. We, we shabak. We, we address God in a loud tone, loud adoration. We shout out his praise. Something happens in our heart. Somebody this morning somewhere tried to like clap. Brilliant, right? And even though never, not everybody comes with you when you clap, clap away, right? Because something happens in there that triggers you to do something out here. Just go for it. Become even more indignified in this, even if you can't clap in time. And like, you know, it is a wee bit irritating, but do it anyway, all right? Just, just... <laughs> Just allow, allow whatever's going in there to, to come out. And sometimes it comes out like a shout. Yeah, sometimes you can't not hold it in, right? Because it's good. It's the goodness of God. Hala or tehila. Definitely not to be confused with tequila, right? Halal or tehila to praise, to make a show or to rave about, to glory in or boast upon, to be clamorously foolish, to sing a new song of spontaneous praise. This is what happens as we encounter God's goodness. And to shaka, as Chris talked about last week, to to depress or prostrate herself in homage or loyalty to God. And the one we didn't get to look at, another Hebrew word is how we, we, in our instruments we worship God, how the anointing of God can come when people play and sing along with it to God. And things happen when, when David played the harp before Saul, the atmosphere shifted and changed. And the spirit of um, the enemy, the darkness that was upon him left. Can you imagine people, can you imagine people, if the church could get that right, start to play music that would soothe souls, that would help people with the torment in their mind be just healed and encounter the Lord. This is all what it means to worship. And then quickly, three, three um, Greek words. So they were all Hebrew Old Testament words, which is the, 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 the language that the Old Testament was originally written on. And these are Greek words in the New Testament. Sibo was to reverence or hold God in awe. That word is used ten times throughout 
the New Testament. And then the second most popular one was that word, eh? latrio, to render religious service of homage. It's commonly used to serve God. Paul uses that word when he's talking about serving God a lot throughout the epistles. So his worship was tied into his service for God. And then the most popular one, which is used 60 times in the New Testament, 57 times of these are in the Gospels, this word proscunio. And it means, it's, a, it's broken up. The cuneo part means to kiss, and the pros part means toward. And so the literal definition is something like to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hands, to fawn or crouch, to pay homage to. Somebody bowing down before someone of royal status and kind of kissing their hand, that's the idea that we get. And it's used lots and lots of times when people came and approached Jesus, they would have knelt down before him. And, um, and there's a sense within this word of complete submission, profound reverence and yielding. It's tied up quite closely with the Hebrew word shakah, to bow or to pay homage to, that Chris talked about last week. And so in all of these words, right, in all of these words that we've been looking at, and if you'd like to go in a bit deeper to each of them, we've done kind of a series and most of these are, sorry, a talk on each of these words individually. Um, if, if you want a little bit more understanding of what each of them meant. But in all of them... We worship in spirit and in truth from this deep inward place and we express it in different ways. And, and so what happens is in praise and thanksgiving, we start to activate our hearts. We start to activate our bodies. We start to remind ourselves. We awake my soul. You, sometimes you have, to like, you have to like activate your own heart and activate your own soul. So you just have to start confessing some stuff like toda worship before you actually feel it. Before you actually, and we come, and so the music, and somebody else leading us, and the guy serving us, that helps us to start getting our eyes focused on the goodness of God. And, and we start to radically then join with the Spirit of God. So the Spirit then starts to lead us, and there's an intensification of a deeper journey with God right in this heart. Because the journey and the destination is not three songs, kids go out, everybody sit down, that was a nice wee sing-along. It was more than that. The destination is right into the heart of God to encounter his presence, to be changed and transformed as likeness, and to get another glimpse of his beauty and his glory and his goodness in our lives. And so we flow in and out of these different responses. We crescendo at times, then we become still at times. We sing words on the screen, and before we know it, we're singing words that it feels like we're making up in the moment, but it's the Spirit of God at work. We fall down and we jump around, or at least we, we should. We sing ha hams, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It all flows together. And sometimes our hearts are so full that our bodies can't not hold it back. And sometimes we move our body to activate our hearts. That's what I've found, right? Because we're much more connected than what we think. And so sometimes I find that my heart is overflowing and I can't not raise my hands or spread my arms out in a kind of yieldedness before the Lord. But sometimes my heart isn't that engaged. And so I raise my hands anyway. Because in raising my hands, then my heart gets activated. It's a bit like physical exercise. You never really feel like it, do you? Unless you're like, in, like into that, right? But you just start running. And some, somewhere along the line, the heart gets going. And, 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 or you start walking or you start doing whatever you... You don't really... You don't ever really want to like... Well, I don't anyway. Garden or something like that. You know, but you, you kind of just like 
physically like kneel down in front of the weed or whatever you do and somewhere along the line you start you start to get into it you know so like I would just encourage you that all of us just need to realize we're, we're, we come to church and, and and for some reason we just we try to engage our brains as much as we can on a Sunday morning we kind of leave our bodies somewhere else like we're much more interconnected than what we think life is to be lived not just in our heads Salvation is something to know, not just in our heads. But Jesus come to give us life in all its fullness. It's something to be lived and experienced and encountered in our whole hearts. And so let's, our worship, let's, get, let's get our worship to, on, on, uh, to understand that and to catch up with that. And in all of these things, none of them are overly concerned about the music. They're much more concerned about the posture. I was watching Liverpool last night. And if you would have heard the oohs and the ahs and the ah, my mum had to tell me off at one point because I was watching it down in her house, you know. But the, you're watching things and you're engaged and stuff comes out of my mouth before I have actually realised or rationalised what I'm saying, okay. And so if we can do that with trivial things like that, why not as with the presence of God and as we reflect on his nature and his, his goodness? So worship is a reordering of our original design. Worship has a divine order. Worship is sacramental. It's our whole bodies and hearts responding to God. And then finally, just as I draw this all to a conclusion, worship is an invitation to the greatest intimacy and to our deepest intimacy in our souls. Proskuneo was the word that Jesus used in John chapter 3 that we've been talking about. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And that word worship is the word proskuneo. So Jesus is, if you want to say it, he's, he's recalibrating this word, and he's helping us understand, and we, we should pay attention because this is Jesus using this word now. Right? So as we, as we look at worship in the light of what Jesus says about it, I think we come to learn... That Jesus is saying that the vestiges of worship being confined to like a place or being confined to like a certain people group or being confined to a shrine, Jesus is eradicating all of those to say this is something much more deeper that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a deep inward place. He's making explicit and central what isn't worship anymore. Because the context was the woman at the well who Jesus is speaking to is, is kind of the, the context was where you worship in terms of like where, where God really was. Is he worship in Jerusalem or at the place in Samaria and da, da, da. And God said, no, no, no. Those who worship me, those who proskuneo me must worship in spirit and in truth. And the outward expressions that we make that we've just talked about, even they can be fake. Even they can be self-seeking. All those Hebrew words in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, he isn't saying, don't do them, obviously, because we've just taught them, but he's just saying, unless it's coming from a place of spirit and truth, then it's not really worship. It's something else. It's not the worship that I desire. And in the New Testament, there's an indifference to the outward forms and places of worship and an intensification of worship as an inward spiritual, express, spiritual experience that flows in outward expressions and pervades every part of our life. And so the journey of praise and thanksgiving 
And through that journey of praise and thanksgiving in this kind of divine order, we become aware of the Spirit of God touching our spirit in new ways. Why? Why do we become aware of it? Why do we become aware? When we follow that divine order, we come in praise and thanksgiving, we declare God's faithfulness, His goodness, all the beautiful characteristics of who God is, His long-suffering. Why? Why does the Spirit of God come and touch us? Why do we feel the Spirit of God? It's been wonderful over the last few weeks to have testimonies of people who don't know Jesus tell us that what is triggering them to come to know Jesus is the presence of God. As they've stood here during the worship, what is that I'm experiencing right now? So why does that happen when we, when we pray as well? Here's what happens. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. There's this wonderful image in the Old Testament. But you are holy, O you that inhabits the praises of Israel. As the people came, and as the people worshipped and gave praise and thanksgiving, there was an expectation that the presence of God, that God himself would come down and inhabit the praises of his people. And so, the Spirit of God's already here when we come to worship. He's inside us. But there's, there's a special way in which God comes amongst his people when they worship. He inhabits that moment. And he inhabits that moment because he wants to reveal part of who he is. And the problem is, we sometimes think we know God enough already. The problem is, we sometimes think, well, I've been a Christian for so many years and I've sung songs for so many years, so I'm just coming to another church service where we're going to sing another few songs. When really, God wants to reveal another element of the depth and beauty and wonder of who he is. He's unsearchable. There's a degree in which God is incredibly knowable and incredibly unknowable. We can't fully know who he is. And the devil wants us to think that things are always going to be the way they were. And the beauty of the new covenant that we're part of is that it actually gets better and better. There's actually always more. And so when charismatics and people like us at the front say things like, you know, more Lord, <laughs> right? Or when we're praying for people and say more, I know sometimes it can sound like a little gimmick, but it actually is deeply theological because, and it's very accurate biblically when it comes to the New Testament, because the new covenant moves us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. So every time we come to worship, we should come with expectation that God, who is a good father, wants to reveal more of who he is to us and wants to engage with us in a way that changes and transforms us. If you don't believe me, let me just prove it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Other translations, as you'll know, will say from glory to glory, but it's an ever-increasing glory, a depth of intimacy that the Lord wants to bring us into. And so when the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, this is what we call his manifest presence. And I want us, the reason I'm kind of going on about this today as we finish this series, I believe that God is calling us as a people to learn better how to host his manifest presence. Because I don't think he wants to win people in this town 
through religion. I think he wants to undo them by his presence. And so we need to become increasingly comfortable and welcoming of the manifest presence of God. And the reason that we taught all those words were because when it comes, we will respond more and more like that. And we need to become more comfortable with stacking the church and putting them to the side and lying on our faces and kneeling on our knees or just sitting in his presence. We need to be a little bit more comfortable with a lack of form sometimes in order for us to engage with God's heart. And that's why it's been beautiful to hear those testimonies. Because God wants us to know how to host like Selah moments. You know, like when the psalmist talks about Selah, pause and think, how do you host those moments where nobody does have to talk? Because the king is in the room. He's inhabited the praises of his people. And he's just working all over the room. As I've said before, it's a bit like going to a party. Walking in. Or dinner party. Walking in and... Oh, it's a lovely house. You do all the praise and thanks. This is a lovely house. Thank you for having us. Da-da-da. Oh, food tastes like... You know, having your starter but never really getting to the main course, never really tasting, and never really having that private moment with the host. And I think that's where God wants to lead us. And I just really sense the Lord saying to us as a people, do you, do you trust my presence? Maybe, maybe God's saying it to me, and us as a leadership team, maybe more, but as you think about strategies, how to win the town, <laughs> the language that we use about rewriting the story of the city. And you, 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 just, you want to come up with good ideas. And I just feel like the Lord's saying, do you, trust, do you trust my presence to do it? If I can find a people who will engage with my presence and become so yielded to me that the aroma that comes in and through your lives as you steward the presence of God will waft through the city's streets and, and, and that aroma will, will attract. The people will start to smell, right? They'll start to smell so that one day they can taste. Yeah? They start to smell the aroma of the presence of God. And it, it ignites something at their hearts, the possibility that maybe one day I could taste it. And the journey towards Jesus begins. Because what we experience here, we carry into our lives every day, wherever we go. And that's not to say there's not an awful lot of practical stuff that needs done and we outwork our love in very incarnational ways. Of course, all, I mean all of that as well. But that comes and happens through our contemplation of the beauty of Jesus and how it changes and transforms us. And so I, I just... I, I want us to go into the new term thinking... There's just deeper places to go. There's deeper parts of the presence of God for us to experience. There's more, there's more, of, there's more of us to give. Sometimes when I start a new term, I, I'm asking the Lord for, <laughs> for more of him. And I usually feel a kind of rebound going, there's more of you to give. There's more of you to surrender. In order that I can enjoy the full 
surrender of the Lord. And I, I was going to, I was going to um, unpack another verse, but I'm, I'm not going to do that for time's sake because I'd, I'd love us just the the worship in response today. But in um, Matthew chapter 26, there's a brilliant story about um, a woman who anointed Jesus with his presence. And uh, everybody else thought it was a waste. Everybody else thought it was uh, it could have been given to the poor and all of that. <clears throat> but she was so extravagant in her love for Jesus that Jesus rebuked them for rebuking her. And in that moment, something happened. It's in Matthew 26, but it also tells us the same story in John chapter 12. And then John says, it says the, the, the fragrance filled let me see. The house was filled with the fragrance of the per, of the perfume, and there's something about the aroma of wholehearted surrendered worship that changes the atmosphere, that changes things around, that shifts atmospheres. And in the in the account in Matthew 26, it's interesting because uh, just just to say really quickly, either side of that passage, you can read it for yourself. This passage, it's, it's, it's the sandwich, if you like, either side of it is on one side you have the sustained hatred of Caiaphas and the religious hierarchy of the Jewish system against Jesus. And on the other side of that you have the treachery of Judas betraying Jesus. So you have like religious spirits either side of it. And in the midst of it, Matthew gives us this account of adoring love, of true worship and spirit and the truth. And when everybody tells her, this was a waste, you could have given this to the poor, Jesus said, no, she's done something. Prophetic, basically. She has anointed my body for burial. The theologians tell us that that perfume, this was in the week leading up to Jesus' arrest. Obviously, that's why Matthew puts it in chapter 26 when they're about to kill Jesus. The reality is that it's probably likely when Jesus was hanging on the cross, broken, bruised, bloodied, taking the sins of the world, nailed to the tree, that the fragrance of the perfume of that woman's worship was probably still on Jesus' body. And she anointed his body for burial. And you see, when we yield to the Lord in wholehearted worship, not only do we shift the atmospheres, but prophetically, prophetically, we put things in motion. We co-create with God because we have been aligned with perfect love. We have aligned our hearts with perfect love. And in aligning our hearts with perfect love, we help initiate the plans and purposes of God. So don't ever think that worship is some simple come by ah. If we come with wholehearted devotion, with wholehearted yieldingness, we can put plans and purposes of God in motion because he is pleased to share them with us. Because he sees hearts that are beginning to love him in the same way that he loves us, which has always been God's intention. That's the covenant that God has always been inviting people into. And so I just feel as we close this series off, Carly, maybe come um, just, to, just to sing in response. As we close this, this series off, I just, 
I feel like um, I don't want to say things for the sake of saying them, but I do feel I could almost almost prophesy today that God is calling us to be a people that know how to follow that divine order of worship, to come with praise and thankfulness, to celebrate His goodness. Thanksgiving is a a response to God's works that He's done in our life. Praise is a response to His character. So we just we come getting our eyes on Him. When I come to a church, it's a wee bit of my, it's a wee bit of my bugbear, right? When I come to church, and the first song is just simply about me and Jesus loving me and Jesus loving me, 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 and we sing about you know. It's, it's, it's kind of about Jesus, but the song's mostly about me and what I'm getting out of Jesus, right? Now, I'm not saying that's not a good song, but I would love that song further on down the worship track when, first of all, what I... Because what I need is not just something else just to tell me I'm this and I'm that. And the other. I, need, I don't need something self-centered the first time I walk in the church. I need something other-centered. I need to get my eyes onto Jesus and onto the goodness and the bigness and the wildness and the awesomeness of who God is. And then as I do that, and as I do that with my heart, my heart and my hands and my body and as we've taught, then something happens in my heart and the, the inhabiting of God's presence comes in a new way upon his people. And I engage with this heart and all the problems that I had haven't gone away and I still have to go out and face them, but I've tasted something of God's goodness that knows it's going to be okay. And as we do that and we engage with his presence, God, I think, calls us to be a people that will host his presence in new ways in order to cut through the religious spirit that wants to find ways to say, see, your worship, it's a waste. And it'll find all sorts of godly Bible language ways to dress that up. You should have given that to God. Jesus says, she needed to do it.